Uh, this morning we're going to, and I'm going to abbreviate, because want, we wanted the, the uh, Haiti team to kind of be the highlight of what, what we're doing this morning, but I'm going to abbreviate my message this morning. If you were here last week, we're back in a series called A New Way of Living, going through the, the last few chapters of Ephesians, and last week, if you're here, we, we started kind of a mini-series within that, which is about purity, and that was part one. Uh, this is part two. Last week was, if you were here, if you weren't, you missed it. It was a PG-13 message. So some of you are thinking, man, I missed it. I'm going to go online and listen to it now. Because we talked about, very frankly, we talked about the reality of sexuality in our culture and what, what's going on in the church and in our lives and what's happening around us and the, the need for purity not as a, a means to kind of pass judgment on people but as a way to influence the culture around us. So this week, as last week was kind of focusing on how do we reject impurity in our life, this week has more to do, how do we embrace the purity that God has for us? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at verses 8 through verse 14, which Paul shifts and really focuses on. says, listen, this is what purity should look like. In fact, the first three things I just want to, want to highlight is how you and I make choices to actually actively embrace purity in our life. And there's things that we can do that will actually produce that in our life. In fact, there, there's a, probably a good way to, to understand that. It's what, what a filter does to, to like purify water. So if you take water that's not drinkable, it's not usable, and you run it through a filtration system, it takes the impurities out, and what comes out on the other side is something that we would say is pure. And so it's useful. It's useful to sustain life. And the same thing is true in our own lives that I think what Paul gives in these verses is a series of filters. It says if you run your life through these filters, what will emerge, because you and I can't produce purity on our own, but what emerges out of that process is the purity that God wants for our lives. And the first thing, look at verses 8 and 9. We're just going to kind of walk through the verses together. Uh, The first thing of choosing to embrace purity, the first filter has to do with choosing purity in our identity. So look at verses 8 and 9. Paul says this, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So Paul is saying, listen, you used to be. There's so many used to be's. And he's comparing dark and light. And he's saying your, your, your predominant, predominant identity and filter and lens by which you lived was darkness. That's what you used to be. But now... If you've come to Jesus, now you are light. Now, it's a great statement to make, but you and I in our lives have to think through every single day the decisions that we make, the process that goes through mentally that we live out every day has to come from this vantage point that God has shown his light on us because of that we are light. That is our predominant identity. That is a decision you have to make every day. And darkness is what I used to be. And darkness is based on evil, it's, it's, it's in, by nature, it comes from inside of us and our own humanity and our flesh. It's based on living in what we think is reality, but it's really based on blindness because we can't see clearly because we're living in darkness. And because of that, it's based on secrecy and hiding things because we don't want people to know the impurity that is in our life. We don't want people to know the evil. And so we get, we get wrapped up in this kind of old mindset, which deep within inside us is exhausting, because what happens is when you live in darkness and when impurity is a part of our life, we have to work overtime to try to maintain that, to make people believe something about us that isn't necessarily true in reality. But Paul says, listen, you used to be darkness. That used to be what you were. Now you are light. And he says three things. Light is what? It's goodness, righteousness, and truth. It's a, it's a change in nature. There's something good in us that God is doing because of his work in us that causes us to make different decisions. 
We are right before God because there is this understanding that we are flawed human beings, but we're made right because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. So things are right with God, which ultimately leads to what? It leads to truth, which is absolute transparency in our life. That is one of the most difficult things for you and I is to live transparent lives, to actually allow light to shine in. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment in terms of relationship. But one of the things that is always true about darkness is that you and I don't realize the full impact of what goes on in our lives when we live in darkness. When that is the, the thing that controls our minds and our processes that we are, we, we really know really or not, we're coming from this identity of darkness. We're walking around in darkness. And if you ever walked around in darkness and bumped into something that you didn't know was there, all of us have. And that becomes the way we live our life. And we think that we see clearly, but really we don't see anything in front of us. One of the darkest places that I've been, this is going to sound funny, is our church sanctuary over at Horizon, uh, used to be Horizon Foursquare Church of Ventura when I was on staff there. Um, Rob Haddam is here, and Rob and Janet Haddam. Rob, years ago, way before me, was on staff there. But uh, that building, if anyone's ever been there, it has, I think, we counted over 21, like, entry points. And so uh, we had to have an alarm, an alarm on every door and all this stuff. And so uh, when you're the new guy on staff, you're always at the top of the call list for the alarm. So when the alarm goes off, you get the call. And for a long period of time, I would get the call every, and it would be this cycle every week, you know, something would happen, someone would pull on a door, something would move, and so the alarm would go off, and I would go down there. The first time I went down there, uh, I didn't go down with a flashlight. And it's an older building, so when you walk into a doorway, most of the light switches are not next to the door, they're across the room. So especially the sanctuary, all the lights are in the back behind stage that you have to turn on. And so I remember walking in there, and it's just, your eyes can't adjust, and so you can't really see anything, and you're walking through, and suddenly chairs appear where there were no chairs before, and I can't tell you how many times I would, I would shank my shin or my knee, or I'd trip, or I'd fall, and I remember a couple times doing that until finally, I think it was Kim who came out with the bright idea, why didn't you take a flashlight with you? Now, partly it was because protection, so I had a big old mag light so I could hit somebody if I needed to in the name of Jesus, but I also wanted a flashlight so I could see And it's amazing when you turn light in darkness, you see things that you never knew were there. And the same thing is true when you and I shift this understanding of our identity, we have access to light in our life. And it's as simple as turning the light on, allowing the light shine into our lives, because that's the identity that God has given. He says, you are light. You can see now. You just have to be willing to choose to do that. And if we live that way, it shifts the decisions that we make every single day because we realize my identity is not darkness. I don't have to hide anything. I don't have to be blind to the reality of what's going on. I I can see things. I can be transparent. Why? Because I am light. That's my identity. Second thing that's a filter that we should process through in, in understanding purity is in our relationship with God. Look at verse 10. Paul goes on. He says, and find out what pleases the Lord. This is a great purity filter. What pleases the Lord? Now, let me just qualify this, because I know so many times we look at a verse like this and say, okay, I have to make God happy. I have to perform for God. I have to make sure he has a smile on my face or his face, or I won't get in the door. Well, Paul's time here, he's not talking about some kind of performance that makes God like us enough to let us into heaven. He's talking about someone who's already come to to faith in Jesus, and because of that, understands and knows the Lord well enough to know that each and every day of their life, the decisions they make, what pleases or what displeases the Lord. And the shift in purity is asking the question, what pleases the Lord? And what's scary is to think about this. As human beings, you and I have the capacity to either please or displease the Lord. We have the capacity to put a smile on God's face. Our actions, our decisions, what we do every single day. 
And part of that process, it changes over time. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you understand God's will, God's purpose, and what pleases him, and the more you can make decisions accordingly. But that means you and I have to know him at an intimate level to know what pleases him. Put it in the natural realm. Put it in our own relationships. The longer you know somebody, the more you know about them. Therefore, the more you understand what makes them happy. If you, if you have a spouse, you know things that make them happy. You probably know a lot of things that make them sad and displeased, but you also know what makes them happy, what pleases them in life. You know, in our family, I know there's some simple things I know that my wife enjoys in, in life. One of those is she, most of you who know her, she loves Sonic Ice. Like Sonic the Dragon, you guys don't see, you don't even know, because there's not one around here. Sonic has this kind of ice that my wife loves to crunch on. It's like light and airy, and she just really loves that. And so she, 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 I know one of the things I can make her happy, and the, the problem for, for us is the closest Sonic is in Duarte. That's the closest one. That's 45 minutes one way. Anybody ever driven the 210 in Pasadena? It's a nightmare, right? But I know if, if, if Kim needs to be happy, if she needs to be pleased, I can just look at her and say, I'll take you to Sonic. And she becomes like a little kid. She's like, really? Can we go? I'm like, yeah, it's rush hour, but we can go, you know, because I love you. In fact, this last week, she took, she took an ice chest in the car, and she bought bags of ice. And I came home one night, two bags of ice from Sonic in our freezer. So, and by the way, my wife constantly calls Sonic, and she's petitioning them to open up a franchise in Ventura County. So if you like Sonic, join the campaign, okay? So we can have it here. But my daughter, Courtney, I know she loves to shop. She picked that up from her mom. And I watch the joy in her face. And I'll, I can watch my daughter shop for hours. And if she finds one shirt she, that she loves, she's happy. It pleases her. Jordan, on the other hand, he's a simple man like me. He loves pizza. There's a lot more things that he loves. But I know one thing that's true. Every, if, if it's been a busy day and it's later in the evening and we had dinner planned and we never got around to making dinner and we're all, What's we, what are we doing for dinner? I can look at Jordan. He's waiting for me to say it. Dad, let's order pizza. And if we order pizza, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like Disneyland and my birthday and, you know, Christmas all at once. It's what pleases him. Now, those are really simple things. And how do I know that? Because I love my kids and my wife, and I learned that about them. But on a much bigger scale, what pleases the Lord in my life? The decisions that I make towards purity, away from impurity, pleases the Lord. We'll talk about this in a moment. The decision that the team, the 15 people that you just saw on the stage made to go to Haiti pleases the Lord. And you say, oh man, now I have to to care if I go to Haiti to please the Lord. Yeah, it'll please him, but you don't have to go to Haiti to please the Lord, but you have to make decisions that may lead you to going to Haiti that will please the Lord. Because God loves people, and we're seeing people being impacted in our community and around the world when we make decisions based on what pleases God. And understanding that will change everything. What if, what if every morning we woke up and what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 19, verse 14, were, uh, was on our hearts and minds. He says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What if that was the filter every single morning, the decisions I make, the actions I take today, that they would be pleasing to you, that would change the way we live our life? And then the final filter before we'll conclude with the kind of the why question is that we choose purity also in our relationships with each other. This is when it gets hard and gets personal, because Paul says in verse 11 and 12, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So what Paul, he turns this on the behavior around us, and he says, listen, when there is darkness, it needs to be exposed. And at a relational level, that means that we, in friendship with each other, 
have to have the courage when we see darkness in the lives of others to be willing to graciously and compassionately expose it. And the opposite is true, that we have to be humble enough and receptive enough that if somebody who we trust comes to us and says, there's something in your life that's not right, that we are willing to accept that. The only way that we'll ever get free from impurity in our life, the only way that we will ever experience the purity God wants for us is if we're willing to open our lives to each other. If we continue to live in hypocrisy and secrecy and pride and we cover everything up, we can do a good job for a while, but we're only hurting ourselves. But if we're willing to say, listen, I'm going to open up the door here. I'm going to let you peek into what I don't want you to see because I know there may be something in me that's not right. And then trust a friend to say, yeah, you know, God wants to free you from that. God wants to bring you out of that. God wants to bring purity in light of the impurity in your life. Think about that. When was the last time you had the courage to go to a friend and confront them on something that wasn't right in your li- their life? When was the last time you were humble enough to listen to somebody come to you and say, listen, there's something not right in your life? If we were willing to do that, it would transform our church. To have that kind of courage, to have that kind of humility, to expose that, those areas of darkness, to bring light and to bring purity into our lives. But so many times we would rather, either out of ignorance or out of fear, we would rather everybody keep the door closed. I don't want to know. I don't want you to know about me. I don't want to know about you. I just want to pretend and do the church thing and see if I can get by. And all while behind the doors of our life is this debris, is this impurity that we don't even know is there. It's because we don't ask the question. We don't look into people's lives. We're afraid to go beyond just the surface conversation. But to get to the deepest parts of our life, we have to be willing to open the door. We have to be willing to sometimes push in. When I was in college, one of the years I had, uh, I had two other roommates and one other roommate and I shared a room and then there was a third guy who was in our apartment and he paid a little bit more so he got his own room. And uh, I'm relatively clean overall and so I like to keep things clean and I noticed you know, that my roommates didn't have the same value but I kind of volunteered and said, listen, if you guys, you can cook and clean or cook and do all the stuff you want in the kitchen, I'll make the commitment to clean up the kitchen and do the dishes every night just because it drove me crazy. So I noticed that they were, especially the one who lived in the other room was a little bit dirty but you know, this is part of, you know, just learning to live with different people. And so one time, he, the, our other roommate who had his own room, he was gone. He was out of the apartment. And either somebody called or one of his friends came by, and they needed something really important out of his room. Now, we had been living in this apartment for six months. And when my friend Kelly would come out of his bedroom, he would, the, door, the light would always be off, and then he would close the door. And it was his room, so we never went in his room. We never bothered to. We'd, it was keeping his privacy. And so... So for six months, we lived that way, and so finally someone came over. Kelly wasn't there. They really needed it. We needed to go look in his bedroom for it. So my other roommate, Steve, and I were like, okay, well, he's not here. We can't really ask him, so we got to go in. So we opened the door. The light's off, and I'm not kidding. As you take one step in with the light off, you bump into something, and then we reach around the corner. I flip the switch on, and across his entire bedroom, about two feet high, was just debris, clothes and trash, and I don't know what it was. And literally, we had to walk on top of it. You could make out his bed and his dresser by the mounds of stuff on top of them. And finally, I can't even remember what we were looking for. I think we eventually found it, but we had to dig through stuff. And I didn't even know what we were digging through. But we finally came out of there. And I remember walking out of there thinking, I've lived here six months. And I never knew his room looked like that. It was like he was a candidate for the show Hoarders. That's how bad it was. And why did I know, not knew, know that? Because he kept his door closed. And I never bothered to probe a little to see what was going on in his life beyond just a little bit of a messy kitchen that I had to deal with every night. 
See, you and I should have the place in our life where we are opening the door to others and where we're knocking on the doors of others. Because that's the only way that so many times we are able to expose the deeds of darkness in ourselves so that we can make sure that God's light shines in and that we find freedom in those areas. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. When was it the last time in your life where you actually had to expose somebody in compassion and love for them? God may be calling you to do that. God may be calling you to receive that. And I want to close with these two things. Why do we embrace uh, purity in our life? Last week, if you're here, we talked about the why question with impurity. Why does God seem to prohibit all these different things? Why? And that's the question that we all ask. You know, it starts when you're young. It starts really kicks in overdrive when you're a teenager. How many times have you, as your teenager, asked why? They want to know why. We want to know why. And if you look at verse 13, that's the first thing that, that Paul lists for us, kind of the answer to the why. Why embrace impurity in our, or purity in our life? It's because it leaves you with nothing to hide. Look at verse 13. Paul says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. One of the biggest benefits of living in purity is you no longer have anything to hide. Some of us don't even know what that feels like because our life has been defined by how do we make sure that nobody really knows the real me. Nobody really knows the impurity in my life. Nobody really knows what happens behind closed doors. Nobody really knows what's going on in my mind. Nobody really knows because I don't let them inside. And when you live a life that way, it's exhausting because you have to constantly think about what you're saying and what you're doing around certain groups of people. You have to hide here or there to make sure that you're not exposing yourself. You have to live as a hypocrite. You have to wear a mask and you can never fully be yourself. That's exhausting. But when purity comes in, when light is shown into our lives and everything becomes visible, then no longer do we have to do damage control. No longer do we have to hide. No longer do we have to be the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain pulling the, the, the levers, trying to make the fire come out until Toto, who's a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, pulls the curtain back and exposes us. Then there's no more hiding anymore. Can you imagine, what would that feel like? What would it feel like to not have anything hidden anymore in our lives? To not have any skeletons in the closet? To not be at a place where you have to constantly and exhaustedly think through every moment of every day because you know that the things that you say and the actions that you take might actually expose who you really are. What if you didn't have that anymore? What if you just opened it up completely and you let God shine in? And initially, that's going to be painful. But you open it up in such a way that you don't have anything to hide. The freedom that comes with that. The freedom that, that comes as a result of being completely exposed and not having to hide anything. You don't have to be something that you're not anymore. It's the beauty when Jesus encountered sinful people and they realized that they didn't have to be sinful anymore. When Jesus encountered Zacchaeus, who was probably one of the most dishonest men that Jesus ever encountered because he was a tax collector and he was ripping off his own people and talk about a hypocrite, he was one. And when Jesus encountered him, what happened? The light of God exposes everything in Zacchaeus' life and the first conversation is Zacchaeus come down from the tree, I'm having lunch with you. The next conversation is Zacchaeus confessing all his sin and saying what he's going to repay back. How does that happen? Because Jesus opened the vault of Zacchaeus and out came all the crap and then the result was a thing called repentance. And Zacchaeus, for the first time in his life, got to be who he was supposed to be. 
got to be consistently who he was. He did not have to be a hypocrite anymore. And there's some of us here today, God is waiting to unlock you. He's waiting to bring visibility to every area of your life, not to shame you, not to condemn you, but to set you free. But you have to be willing to embrace that. It's one of the huge benefits of walking in purity. And then second and final thing in verse 14, the other reason we should embrace purity in our life is because it demonstrates that you're awake. Verse 14, Paul writes, he says, For it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So Paul quotes most likely a hymn that was sung by early Christians to remind them of the fact that Jesus has brought his light to bear on life so that there is this waking from the slumber. There is this resurrection from the dead. There is this understanding of coming to life. And this is so important. Because it's bigger than purity, but it has to do with purity. The ultimate outcome of purity in our life is for the first time in our life, we're actually fully alive. Because we don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. We don't have to hide our past or our failure, but we become fully alive. And then it says what? And then Christ's light shines on us. We become light. If you were here last week, I talked about what our culture needs is, doesn't need is somebody who lives a pure life out of legalistic judgment to sit up on their high horse to point the finger at people to say, you're impure and I'm pure. Our culture doesn't need that. What our culture needs is an authentic, pure life lived in relationship with those who are impure that causes people to be intrigued by the difference. That's what's going to change our culture. And I talked about this. It's not political means. It's not picketing. It's not judgment. It's not thumping people with scriptures. It's living out the reality of Jesus' light living in us and living pure lives in an impure culture. That will change the culture faster than anything. And that's what's amazing is that there's some of us that have yet to fully awaken to the reality of what God's called us to be because we're still stuck in, in the impure mode over here. And impurity doesn't just have to do with sexual thoughts or bad things. Impurity can be completely missing what God has designed for your life. That's impure because it's not being fully who God created you to be. There's a whole other dimension of following Jesus that some of us never even touch in this life because we're still, in some regards, asleep. Because we haven't opened up the vault of our life. We haven't let God shine in fully. We haven't surrendered ourselves. And therefore, what are we doing? We're pretending to be the Christian that we think we're supposed to be, but never really becoming who God called us to be. Now, in my perspective, in the journey of our church over the last number of years, this is the process that God is walking us through, is coming alive, is waking up. Waking up to the reality, not of what are we going to do as a church, but waking up to what is God saying to me as an individual follower of Jesus. That's the journey of our church. Because we can't start with the church. The church is what? It's us. It starts with us as individuals. And the transition from one building to another and the change in the name has, has nothing to do with us really becoming anything other than the fact that I think what God is doing is he's saying to us because he loves us and he loves our city and he loves our world, it's time for you to wake up fully. It's time to you to, for you to come alive fully. It's time for you, and I can tell you, I can bring the 15 from the Haiti team back up here. I can ask a question to all of them, and I can guarantee they would all say the same thing. They would all answer yes. I could ask them, did you feel more alive when you were in Haiti? And they would say, absolutely, I did. Why would they feel that? Because they're beyond themselves? Because they're not living for themselves? Because they're sacrificing? Because they're seeing God's purpose unfold before them? They're seeing lives touched? And for some of us, we don't even see that in our daily lives. We just kind of go through the motions. 
And I, and I, as we've, I looked at this passage, I was thinking about it, even as we were walking through first service, I feel, feel like this, this part of, of, of this call to wake up has been God's call to our church over the last three years. And graciously and gently, and maybe some, somewhat not so gently, God has through the rumbles that have gone through our congregation, God's saying, it's time to wake up. It's time to become who I created you to be. And God has done different things. It's kind of like anybody have teenagers and you ever try to wake up a sleeping teenager? That's hard. That's hard. And I know when I was a teenager, I loved to sleep in until 11 or noon. And I know my kids, it's summertime and they like to do that too. And, and, but uh, I, have, I have an envy towards Jordan and towards Kim, my wife and my son. They can sleep anywhere and sleep solid. I can't. I'm a nervous sleeper. I'm always awake. And so both of them, it takes a lot to wake them up. Jordan used to be a lot more, but, but he's coming around. But I remember there are times to wake up Jordan in the morning because he's such a sound sleeper. I have to go through a four or five step process. And I would start slow. And the first start was, start was I would open the door and the light was on outside his room and the light would go into the room and the, you know, the wind of the door and the noise and like, okay, he's going to wake up. And he wouldn't even move. So then I step into his room and the next step was one of, the, one of two things. We all sleep with fans at night, and so we'd have a fan, kind of some white noise. I'll shut the fan off, and that, that kind of jarring silence will wake him out of his sleep. Didn't work. And I thought, well, I'm going to turn the light on. When you, you know, the light on in his room, and when that comes on, that'll work. And that wouldn't work. There would be times, sometimes, I literally go over to his bed, and I'd grab his leg, and I'd start shaking. Like, Jordan, wake up. Jordan, wake up. And he'd still just lay there like he was dead. And like, is he dead? And then Jordan can tell you, there's some mornings where I'm like, Jordan, wake up! Right? And he'd wake up. Five different steps to finally get to the one thing that would wake him up. I think God's been doing that with our church. I think in different ways, in different scenarios, God's been coming along. He's saying, it's time to wake up. It's time to open your eyes. It's time to see what life is supposed to be about. It's time to put away the things of the past and truly live a new life. Not just changing the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks, but changing the reality of who we are so that God's light shines on us, so that our city is different, that our world is different. He's calling us. And the beauty is, is God is doing this not only at Antioch Church, He's doing it across the body of Christ. He's awakening the dead in the church to fulfill His mission. I want to be a part of that. That's where we're at. Now you, each one of us in this room know, you know whatever that is specifically for you. You know the prompting. You know the discomfort. You know that, that uncomfortableness that's come over you at different times in our church. Maybe even things that you've disagreed back and you, agreed and you push back on. But deep down in your side, God is like stirring you and making you uncomfortable because he's saying you can't keep living the same life that you're living. You can't do that anymore. You know too much. You know better. And now God's called us to be in his light, to be light, so that the world around us is changed as we are changed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your call to purity through Paul's words. And we know that, Lord, purity is not just about somehow the absence of impurity, but we know it's the presence of what is right before you. It's the presence of a life that pleases you. It's the presence of us knowing that we are light because you have shined your light into our lives and have allowed us to become that. That is our primary identity. So I pray for each one of us today that you would ignite in us what it looks like for us to be fully awake, to be fully alive, to, to truly live out what you've called us to live out. 
So, Lord, where we are asleep, would you come and jar us awake? Would you open our eyes? Lord, I know what you've done in the Haiti team. You've awakened in them something that maybe had fallen asleep or maybe was never alive in the first place about the reality of the poor, about what the gospel looks like in different contexts, about what it looks like to follow you in a different part of the world. All kinds of things have come alive in them, and I pray, Lord, that you would translate that to our hearts as we look around our city, as we look around this city and even the people that we're in contact with, and we know that even though as we struggle in our own lives with impurity, we know that we live in a culture that, was, that is impure, but Lord, but we would live such pure lives that they would see you, they would be intrigued by you. We know that we need the work of your Holy Spirit to give us the power to do this. So we pray that as we leave today, you would fill us with your Spirit to live out the fullness of purity in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.